The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Our guest today is Rob Bernstein. He is the chief executive officer and the president of Coupa, which is a cloud-based spend management software company that's located in San Mateo, California. Rob has more than two decades of experience in the business software industry, and he's a guest lecturer at Harvard and Stanford Business Schools. He's also a frequent contributor to Forbes and to Fortune magazines, and he often provides commentary on major national news programs. He has a new book that's fresh off the presses called Value as a Service, Embracing the Coming Disruption, that we're going to talk about today. Welcome to the show today, Rob. Thank you. Okay. So value as a service. Let's talk about what that means. What what is value as a service when you say that? Sure. Well, we see in our in our world today, particularly in the in the business world, how things are converting from product based industries to service based industries, particularly in the world of technology. Software used to be a product. You'd be uh, it would be delivered on CDs and installed on site. And now we're seeing cloud-based solutions being offered via the Internet and being offered as a service. So customers actually subscribe to the services, pay on a monthly or annual basis, and get some sort of output from that. Value as a service is oriented toward the next phase of that evolution, which is what is the actual value that a customer is receiving from that service rather than focusing on the delivery model. And when we look at other industries, in particular consumer goods industries or just B2C industries, we see this value orientation already happening uh, and, frankly, well underway. Uh, Moving that same dynamic into the B2B world is what uh, this book is about. Okay, and why do you think that that is the next evolution? It's the next logical evolution. Let's think about, uh, in the consumer world, something like cars, for example. You know, when you go out, you're really focusing still on the delivery model, right? You go out and you buy a car, you look at, uh, you know, how long it'll last you, uh, how much gas, so what the gas uh, mileage uh, scenario is. You may consider an electric car. You're thinking about, uh, you know, the how rather than the what you really want, which is you want fast transportation, you want less hassle and whatnot. So we see new models there where Uber, you can get picked up immediately, or uh, self-driving cars and new innovations that are allowing consumers to focus on the output rather than how to actually get to that output. That same dynamic is happening in enterprise software. And uh, since B2C is leading the way, it's just a natural next evolution to see the same dynamic happening in, in B2B. Okay. Now, you know, value, of course, is very subjective. I can look at something, and and using that car, for example, you could say you want speed. I could say I want gas mileage. And, you know, those are values, different values to each of us. So it means different things to different people. And using that kind of a model, how would you satisfy all your customers then? Well, that's a great, great question. I think the first uh, element that you have to look at is, you're not really in the business of satisfying anybody. You really ought to be in the business of driving real measurable results for 
key individuals or key constituents that you're serving. And you're exactly right. It may be very different uh, for you uh, if you're looking for speed or there may be a cluster of individuals that are more looking for efficiency. There might be a cluster of individuals that are looking for lower cost. So being able to very clearly articulate what is the value proposition for your target audience and then driving your value proposition against that is the primary challenge uh, that we see in, in, in a, lot of these, uh, a lot of these different markets. In the B2B world, it means actually partnering with your customers, sitting down and articulating together what the value drivers will be of a successful outcome of, of a software solution perhaps being deployed. That simply hasn't happened in the enterprise software world for, for a number of decades, and it's coming. And uh, there's simply no way to avoid it in the future. Yeah, because customers today, they have so many choices. And so uh, if you're not really engaged in these relationships, with, I mean, used to this, the relationship was the upfront relationship in order to get the sale made. And then after that, eh, sometimes it was still a relationship. Sometimes you're just on your own. But that, that's all changing as part of this new model. Exactly. I mean, if you think about the way companies buy, let's say, a piece of uh, enterprise software technology, they're focused on the how. They write long, 100-page RFPs of all the different ways how they think they need to be served. But really, in the future, they ought to be focused on the what. What is the outcome they're actually seeking from that technology provider? It's the technology provider's job then to figure out how to best deliver that outcome, best deliver that value. So that's a natural evolution that's happening in this competitive environment where Customers should be much more relaxed about the how and shouldn't have to worry about the how. They need to very clearly articulate the what that they're seeking, which puts us as technology providers and, and enterprise software professionals in a very unique position to articulate our value proposition in clear, measurable ways that the customer would be interested in embracing. Now, one of the challenges to that is that the potential customer actually has to know what they want. I mean, sometimes... I mean, I see it. Sometimes the customer really doesn't know exactly what they want. They don't know exactly what outcome they want, or it's so broad that, you know, you have to help them narrow it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You have to help them narrow it. And I think one of the things that companies can do that are on the technology side is bring to the conversation, rather a response to the 100-page RFP, give to the, bring to the conversation a set of options. In other words, what is it that you're trying to drive with this initiative? Are you trying to boost profitability by 1%? Are you trying to drive a pipeline conversion increases by 12%? Are you trying to drive market share improvement by 2%? We are the best technology providers to align to those outcomes. So you're exactly right. You have to tease out those ultimate value drivers because typically the buyer is caught in this challenge of trying to figure out how people could deliver for them but not really sure what it is that they're actually looking for in terms of outputs. That's the value drivers that the book describes. Exactly. One of the most interesting chapters in the book, at least for me anyway, is that values create value. Uh, can you talk to us about how your company culture plays a role in the value as a service model? No, I'm happy to. You know, when you think about uh, a buying process where you get a 100-page RFP, you could have a company culture where everyone is very quick to respond to those things and try to satisfy customers. And one of the things we talk about here internally is that while we'd like to satisfy customers, that's not our primary goal. Our primary goal is to drive measurable customer success, measurable value for our customers. And that means that you're not out there basically making sure that your client is happy, that you're on site, that you're doing all the things that would make them sort of your friend. You're much more oriented toward getting that customer focused on what could be 
an outcome that their company really cares about, that their CEO cares about, that their board cares about, that would drive that company's stock price up. So it's, it's a, a shift in orientation. Rather than a vendor-customer relationship where the two are either friends or enemies, it's a reshifting of those two individuals to focus on real measurable outcomes that could benefit both parties. And that fundamental shift requires a different set of values. Now, our drivers here, our values here are ensuring customer success, focusing on results, and striving for excellence. And we found those, those, those core values to be very conducive to this, uh, this shift in paradigm. Yeah, and within the service provider's culture itself, you also talk about uh, the outdatedness of the organizational model. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. You know, it, it's very interesting. When you look at organizational charts or org charts, today, they almost all look the same. They're top-down, there's a CEO, and then they have a management team and everyone below that. And it's sort of a command and control kind of approach. I think that type of structure is much more oriented or or, uh, opportune when you're talking about industrial revolution type industries, where you have, uh, you know, a, a, a key executive and a foreman and a people on an assembly line, and they need to take directive. We're living in a world where we're in the information revolution or arguably in the knowledge revolution. One employee, one player in the technology industry, they come up with some very creative idea or someone in marketing, very creative new idea that can shift a company's uh, success significantly. So we have this concept of an upside down org chart uh, at our company where my job is literally supporting my management team to do everything possible to achieve the the. Uh, the goals of the organization, and they support their team, and that team supports the next level team. So much more of the concept that that mimics nature, the, the way a tree would look, rather than a, a top-down uh, management structure. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it with the tree there. Now, you've noted also in the book that companies are more likely to get into trouble in good times than in bad times. Why do you say that? Well, see, in good times when revenue is growing and everything's happening really well, you could really hide a lot of inefficiency, a lot of misalignment, a lot of cultural conflict within the organization. It's masked because things are going well. But the moment something turns, people start to look around and wonder where is the problem. And so maintaining a discipline, at least in my experience, maintaining a certain level of discipline as you grow uh, and uh, making sure people ascribe to those core values we talked about and ascribe to your organizational structure could really help you scale. You can stay really fit through tough times and, uh, and good times and, and build all the organizational muscles required to have that type of agility. We're talking here today with Rob Bernstein. He's the chief executive officer and president of Coupa, and he's just written a book called Value is a Service that's just been released this month. It's called, um, subtitle, Embracing the Coming Disruption, which is value as a service. We've been talking about what that is and uh, why that evolution is occurring. I'd like to turn now to uh, much more practical uh, discussion. You have a 10-step approach for implementing value as a service. Now, obviously, we're not going to be able to go into all 10 steps today. Uh, Listeners are just going to have to read your book. But if you could give us an overview of those steps and why they're so key to transitioning to this kind of a model. You know, the, the very starting point when you look at these things is to understand where you're going. What is the outcome that you're trying to achieve as an organization in, in building your own company, as well as for the customers that you're serving? What are the fundamental outcomes that you, you want to achieve for those folks? Everything else is an enabler to those outcomes. Now, when we look at our business, we say, well, what are our core competencies and how can we best deliver those outcomes that a customer might want? 
what are the core competencies, the elements of, those, of that customer that could also deliver on those outcomes? And then we create an alignment strategy together. And I think that is a very, very important way to think about things. I think often people get caught up in, again, the how. You know, what can we do? Where is a market we could attack? What are opportunities we can go after? But they don't necessarily think about the fundamental long-term outcomes and whether or not they're best positioned to deliver against them. So there's a 10-step method in the book that really helps, I think, ought to help individuals and business leaders think through how they can drive the strategy of their own company for maximum benefit for them as well as the customers they're serving for many years to come. And I think uh, I'm interested in seeing uh, uh, some of the dialogue that comes out of, uh, you know, feedback from those 10 steps. Yeah, one of the things that you also stress is that it's not enough just to, to define that value proposition. You also have to quantify it. Why is that so important? Well, look, math, math is a very interesting uh, language. Uh, it's, uh, it's unquestionable at the very end. It's, it, we, we use math to quantify something, right? And then we have to quantify some sort of business driver as an outcome for someone. If, if, if it, convenience can be quantified in the Uber example that I described to you, speed can be quantified in the example you gave around uh, interest in a, in a fast car. Uh, savings on gas can be quantified. Uh, time that it takes to go from one place to another can be quantified. Time not wasted on maintenance can be quantified. Once you quantify things, you're able to measure them and you're able to understand improvements or, or lack of improvements in, in, in the way you do some things. Something that's very qualitative begs for quantification. Otherwise, it's very subjective and there's room for inefficiency. And uh, I think squeezing out that inefficiency very, very early on can give you a lot of focus uh, when you're partnering with your, your customers. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I'm going to put a little bit of a different spin on it this time, and it has to do with the customers. Previously, we talked about how value, um, what is a value can be subjective, and you just brought it up again a minute ago, too. So as you're going through this 10-step process, you know, the customer input is incredibly a big part of it. But again, you're talking to, in some cases, maybe thousands of customers with various ideas and feedback that's all over the board. Do you look for patterns? Do you look for, when you go, do you go back to the quantifiable part of the equation and say, well, how is this going to um, be a win-win for everybody, not just that particular? I mean, how, how do you sort through all that? So if you, if you sort of frame it as two extremes, on one extreme, you could do exactly what all your customers are telling you without thinking about patterns. And then, of course, you're going to be chasing too many tails at once. Or you could avoid any customer input and basically have such a strong sense of what you think the market needs that you're just going to drive that into the market. And of course, we know examples from Steve Jobs and others that are just real anomalies, amazing anomalies that we've seen in the business world. But the real art is finding those patterns and finding ways to, to map clusters of customer value drivers and needs and mm -hmm. core competencies that you have that can be pointed at those needs. And I think the book really describes ways, different approaches and ways and examples of making that pattern recognition happen for your organization and helping leverage that pattern recognition for the benefit of customers and, and the companies you serve. That is very much at the very crux of what uh, we talk about in, in, in value as a service. Exactly. Uh, one of the things that I've seen happen time and time again is that uh, somebody will write a book or there'll be, you'll, you'll see a lot of information about the coming trends or so forth. And certain people in the company will get very excited about those. And then most of the other people, it's like, 
the day gets in their way or you just they don't want to change because it's too hard. So what would you recommend to our listeners? They'll go get, get your book and read it and be all excited about it, but maybe they aren't the person that can authorize shifting to this kind of a model, or even if they are uh, trying to get everybody else on board with it is going to be a huge chore. What would you suggest to them about uh, that part of getting this implemented, just the beginning part there? Sure, sure. Well, the one buy-in. of the things the book talks about is looking at one's own career from this framework of, of value delivery. And in fact, the book itself at the very end, I offer the same in, in saying, look, if you don't feel like you've gotten clear, measurable value out of reading this book, I'd like to hear about that as well. And if you have, we'd love to hear about that. So it's about starting with oneself, you know, so the, the, the man or the woman in the mirror and, and saying, okay, what are my core competencies within my own organization, whether you're the leader or the lowest level employee or mid-level manager, whatever they may be, what is it that is key about my competencies? Am I applying those competencies most effectively to drive value within my company and value for the customers that our company serves. And that's a daily assessment process, a weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual assessment process. So it really comes back to asking oneself, because very often today, as, as, as we all know, we're bombarded with information on a daily basis. We wind up sort of, uh, we could easily become a leaf in the wind on a daily basis at five, six o'clock comes, and did we really, we moved a lot of things, mm-hmm. but did we actually achieve something quantifiable, measurable, and a real out- outcome. So the book gives uh, gives some, some pointers on how to begin that process oneself, with right. oneself. So even if your company doesn't buy into this, as an individual, you can still practice this. You can still put it into action in your uh, daily activities at your job. Uh, one, one final question here is what do you see as being, you call this a disruptor, and disruptors usually have tremendous impact. So what do you see as being the ultimate impact of value as a service? Well, the, the ultimate impact is, is, in my mind, is quite clear. We're in a situation where globalization is happening and has happened over the last two decades, decades at a very rapid pace. If you have an interesting, innovative product or service, you have a marketplace of billions of people around the world that can get access to that through the internet, through delivery and whatnot. So the next question is how operationally efficient can you actually be at delivering that and how much can you deliver that in a way that drives measurable value. So we're going to see so much operational efficiency improvements around the world in the next decade focused on value outcomes that like we've never seen before. And that's going to be very disruptive. We're continuing to see massive layoffs in areas where technology is taking over for things that people used to do. We're seeing it as one example of that. So I think as we, we reflect on this, you know, a decade from now, we'll see incredible operational efficiency improvement, and we'll see it all oriented toward quantifiable value drivers, outcomes for customers. And that's something that we simply have to embrace rather than fight, because if we fight it, uh, we'll be left behind. Absolutely. Now, where can people get a copy of your book? Again, it's just been released. So should they go to a website, your website, or is it on Amazon? Where is it? It's on Amazon, but you can go to valueasaservice.com, uh, read some excerpts, and there's links there to the Amazon um, Amazon site where you can order. Okay, that's easy enough to remember. Same name as the book, valueasaservice.com. Go get the book. It'll give you the 10-step process for getting this implemented. Thank you so much for your time today, Rob. Really enjoyed hearing your insights. Thank you. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at IThinkBigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at IThinkBigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.